And now for the sermon for today, Pastor Steve Andrews with the message entitled, The Fifth Commandment. For um, those of you who have uh, been following us, we've been trying to go through some of the uh, Ten Commandments. Um, very much apropos this one here for our day and age. I'm going to have him put that one up on the board. I'm going to read it from, from the uh, screen. The first is Genesis, the, um, or Exodus, the 20th chapter, verse 12. Let's get it right. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God giveth you. And the second one is in Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, verse 16. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And it's interesting, as I was uh, contemplating these two verses, and I was thinking and meditating on it, we always seem to focus just on that first part when we think honor your father and your mother. So we say, okay, the kids honor the father and the mother. But in truth, this is a little different. In, if, we, if we think about it a little more, we have to realize that it requires all involved, doesn't it? So I have a formula. Here's the, here's the formula. Uh, Richard, if it, if it come up, if, if it doesn't, I can always read it. Let's see if it'll come up. It's a PDF file. Did it? Oh, there it is. It didn't come over here, but it did come up here. Sons and daughters honor fathers and mothers equal what? Anybody know? Well, it equals families. It equals families. Sons and daughters honor fathers and mothers so that equals all families. So everyone is involved in this commandment. It is not just the children. Because when we have a child, what do we have? We have a baby who needs to be taught. And how can he learn honor unless he's taught that? So, who created it all? Well, we know that it didn't come from pond scum. <laughs> We know that we didn't crawl out of the sea. We know that we didn't have uh, um, all the other different things that they want to tell us that you know, the aliens dropped us out of the heavens or we came from uh, uh, you know, something from, from space. We know, we believe, and we understand because of all, even science proves that we came because God created us. In Genesis, the first chapter, we go back to that because you have to go back to where God started this, started all of this. God understands us. He understands what he created. He understands the process that he started. In Genesis, the first chapter, in verse 26 through 31, God said, let us make man in our, our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him, what? <laughs> male and male? Female and female? As we've been talking, if you put males on one island and females on the other island, what do you get? Eventually you get nothing. So he created them, male and female. Created he them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. So what do we have? We have children. <laughs> That's what that means. And replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over everything that, li uh, thing that moves upon the earth. And he says, I've given you all these things, the bearing er, uh, seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree, <coughs> which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air and to everything that creeps upon the earth when there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, behold, it was very good. 
It was very good. So his creation of man and woman and the ability to have children was very good. Lucille sent me um, Leon Sexton's newsletter, and I'm very appreciative of that because this July 1st one was a very interesting newsletter. Leon uh, uh, starts out, Dear friends and fellow laborers, woe, woe, woe. He said the above angelic pronouncement from heaven, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And guess what picture he has on the front of his newsletter. Everybody, I think, is familiar with this particular picture. And it sickened me when I first saw it to take God's rainbow that he gave as a covenant to use it as a symbol of you-know-what. And I'm going to pass through some of this because what I want to really read is what Leon said and read, uh, wrote about, uh, chapter 2 actually, about the second part of this creation of man and woman. And he did a very beautiful job. He says, everything begins in the book of Genesis. All divinely ordained institutions begin in Genesis. The ecological system, reproductive system, the system of government, system of laws, punishment, uh, the, uh, laws and punishment, the calendar system, the system of religious worship, and even the marriage institution all begin in Genesis, among others. And you can go back and you can look. And you can find all the Ten Commandments in those, those few, few verses before uh, the flood. He said, let's examine the marriage institution. It's a unique in nature, as it's only is performed among humans. Goats do not marry, chickens do not marry, monkeys do not marry. There are some animals that mate for life, swans, doves, wolves, and beavers. But marriage is distinctly a human institution ordained by God. God planted a garden. He called it Eden. In that garden, he put first man and first woman. He created Adam first. He then created Eve. Adam was male and Eve was female. God created human sex. There is only two sexes, male and female. Sorry, that's the way God created it. In Genesis 5 verse 2, he says, Male and female created he them and blessed them, called their name Adam in the day that when they were created. Then God did something very special. And I like the way that Leon put this, and I think that this is very, very beautiful. His intention was that the male and female be joined together in holy union. This was not like the animals that roam around and have sex and procreate indiscriminately. God created a special institution for mankind. It's called marriage and includes far more than human procreation. God gave Eve to Adam. Isn't that interesting? If you go back and read that, we're going to read that here in a minute. So beautiful. God gave Eve to Adam. Notice, he did not bring him Fred or Bruce. He gave him the woman. All the elements of marriage, of the marriage ceremony, are in Genesis. The father, God, takes his daughter, Eve, and gives her to him, to the man, Adam. The man, Adam, vows a vow in the presence of God. There is a wedding ceremony. Right before God. This is so beautiful. You go back to the beginning. It's so beautiful. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The marriage ceremony of Genesis 2 united one man and one woman in a God-ordained marriage union, and said they should be one flesh. This is the biblical definition of marriage. It has remained the same definition since Genesis, and there's no evidence that any Western culture has ever changed it until today, until recently. And we know what that has happened. It's very interesting, as we read that in, in Genesis, the second chapter, I was in uh, Gardner's, and I think this is where I picked this up. And it may have been outside. I don't know if any of you have been to Gardner's, but they have uh, 
They have several sections. Of course, they, they sell them fairly, sell books fairly reasonably. And uh, there's one section out in front where they just put all kinds of books because they want to just get rid of them. So you pay a quarter for that book. There's another section that they have where they just you, you buy it for a, for a dollar. I think I bought this one for a dollar. Dr. James Dobson, I think most of us are familiar with it, he wrote this book in 2004. It's called Marriage Under Fire. And he was pleading, pleading with anyone that would listen. And, and by the way, they were just trying to get rid of this book. And yet it's so valuable. And it's so prophetic. What's the problem is it's so prophetic. It's happened just as he is preaching in this book. I, I can't read all of it. I would like to, but I can't read all of it. But there is a one, <clears throat> there's one section that's, that's kind of interesting, and I would like to read parts of it. He says, why we must win the battle. Why we must win the battle. Everything that God has created now is being maligned, ridiculed, and put down. And for all those young people who are raising children, I really, my heart goes out to you. And of course, I've got grandchildren and I've got children that are raising children. And so I feel very much attuned to, to, to all you young um, married people with children. And those are, are looking forward to having children in this day and age. Because it's going to be very difficult for all of us who really believe that God is a creator who has made marriage and, and, and set it aside so that we could have families. He says, an argument in favor of homosexual marriage that you are likely to hear again and again on the radio talk shows, national television, and internet reflects a line of reasoning that you must be prepared to counter. It is embodied in these kinds of questions. Why all the fuss about gay mar marriage anyway? And why should it matter to you if a gay couple marries and moves into your neighborhood? Why shouldn't our definition of family be broadened and modernized? After all, what harm would cost, could possibly be done by yielding to the demands of those who say traditional no notions of family are outmoded and irrelevant? Col columnist Stephen Blow, in a recent edition of the Dallas Morning News, and of course this is 2004, echoed some of these questions. He, he opted a piece which was titled Gay Marriage. Why would it affect me? And was apparently written after he had read one of my recent newsletters on the subject. Blow wrote, when opponents talk about the defense of marriage, they lose me. James Dobson's focus on the family just sent out a mailer to 2.5 million homes saying, the homosexual activist movement is poised to administer, administer a devastating and potentially fatal blow to the traditional family. And I say, huh. How does anyone pledge of love uh, and commitment turn into the fatal blow of, uh, to families? And of course, then we have, and there's some more to this one, but I want to jump right into some of the points that James Dobson brings out because they are very, they are very um, pertinent to today's things that are going on. He says the legalization of homosexual marriage will quickly destroy the traditional, uh, traditional family. If you look to Canada, they've already been doing that. We've already seen evidence from the Scandinavian countries that de facto homosexual marriage destroys the real McCoy. These two entities cannot coexist because they represent opposite ends of the universe. A, a book could be written on the reasons for this uh, collision between matter and antimatter, but I will cite three of them. First, when the state sanctions homosexual relations, and it's now it's not just the state, it comes from the uh, it comes from the Supreme Court to all 50 states. Just like Roe versus Wade and the abortion thing, you can imagine how this is going to turn out. How many millions have been killed? And you know what the, the story that just came out, what they're doing. I mean, <laughs> it's so pathetic. God has got to be so angry that one of these days we're going to feel this earth shake in in the United States, and I'm sure of it. Just like um, Leon Sexton wrote, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
He said they, uh, um, he says first when the state sanctions homosexual relations and gives them its blessing, the younger generation becomes confused about sexual identity and quickly loses the understanding of lifelong commitments, emotional bonding, sexual purity, the role of children in a family, and from a spiritual sp perspective, the sanctity of marriage. Brethren, you're going to have a fight that you're going to have to, to um, battle with your children to help them through this. You really will. It will be a, a real battle to make sure that they understand that God is the creator. He's the one that made marriage, and he is the one that takes care of that. Marriage is reduced to something of a partnership that provides it attractive benefits and sexual convenience, but cannot offer the intimacy described in Genesis. <clears throat> and of course, the second one is the, uh, the, the introduction of legalized gay marriage will lead inexorably to po uh, polygamy and other alternatives to one man and one woman unions. And of course, right away, just as soon as the Supreme Court decided on this decision, what happens? We have a polygamist go in to the, I think they was in somewhere in the, in the West, and I'm not sure exactly where it was, but he went into the courthouse and he says, we want to be married. He already had one wife and he wanted the second wife to, to have the benefits. So the polygamist has already asked. Now you know where it's going to go. It's going to go all the way to the Supreme Court. What are they going to say? They've already made the decision. It's going to happen. And so consequently, there's, there's nothing that can stop them because of what they've done. I don't want to go through all of this because there's a lot. So I'm going to skip over to point number two. Children will suffer the most. What are we talking about? Our children. The implications for children in the world of decaying families are profound because homosexuals are rarely monogamous, often having as many as 300 or more partners in a lifetime. Some studies say that it's typically more than 1,000. Children of those polygamous situations are caught in perpetual coming and going. It is a it's devastating to kids who by nature are enormously conservative creatures. They like things to stay just the way they are and they hate change. Some have been known to eat and, uh, the same brand of peanut butter throughout childhood. More than 10,000 studies have concluded that kids do best when they are raised by the loving and committed mothers and fathers. They are less likely to be on legal, illegal drugs, less likely to be retained in a, a grade, less likely to drop out of school, less likely to commit suicide, less likely to be uh, in poverty, less likely to become juvenile delinquents, and for girls, less likely to become teen mothers. They are healthier, uh, both emotionally and physically, even 30 years later than those not blessed with traditional parents. And there's more to that, that particular one. And of course, it's coming to your public school, and even in Oklahoma, they won't be able to now um, deny it. With uh, the public school in every state will embrace homosexuality. With the legalization of homosexual marriage, every public school in the nation will be required to teach this perversion as moral equivalent of traditional marriage between man and a woman. Textbooks, even in conservative regions, will have to depict man and man, woman and woman relations, and stories written for children as young as elementary school. You can go on. Adoption laws will be instantly obsolete. From the moment homosexual marriage becomes legal, courts will not be able to favor a traditional couple of, of one man and one woman in matters of adoption. Children will be placed in homes with parents representing only one sex. And this already happened, by the way. Uh, this, this, is, uh, this is starting to be very common. Even the polygamous couples won't be excluded. Um, it's interesting that, um, what was I thinking about? Uh, anyway, it went out of my mind while I was reading that. Foster care programs will uh, be, oh, I, I know what I was thinking about. Uh, um, Oklahoma, I'm not sure whether it was the, the state or whether it was the National Boy Scouts, now are, all, are going to allow uh, homosexual men um, as, Boy, as Boy Scout leaders. If any of you have ever read the Boy Scout leader <laughs> book, or even been in the program, you know that it's their example that they set forth, that the boys follow. How in the world can they do this? 
It's, it's, it's insanity. Foster care programs will impact, impacted dramatically. The healthcare system will stagger and perhaps collapse, number six. Social security will be severely stressed. And I'm not gonna read all of these because I'm running out of time. Religious freedom will almost certainly be jeopardized. I will read a, few, a little bit of this. In order to get a perspective on where the homosexual active, uh, activist movement is taking us, one can uh, simply look to our neighbors to the north. Canada is leading the way on this revolutionary path. I could cite dozens of examples indicate, uh, indicating that religious freedom in that country is dying. Indeed, on April the 28th, 2004, the Parliament passed Bill C-250, which effectively criminalized speech or writing that, that criticized homosexuality. Anything deemed to be homophobic is punishable by six months in prison or other severe penalties. So it's coming to a, a church near you. Other nations are watching our march towards homosexual marriage and will follow our lead. We've already sent uh, all the filth and garbage and stuff all over the world, so why not this? The gospel of Jesus Christ will be severely curtailed. The family has been God's primary vehicle for evangelism since the beginning. Its most important assignment has been the propagation of the human race and the handing down of, of the faith to our children. Malachi 2.15, which refers to husbands and wives, reads, Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he is seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit, and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. That responsibility to teach the next generation will never recover from the loss of commitment. And that's exactly what we're talking about here on this fifth commandment. Honor, because you have to teach them these things. You have to teach your children these important things. About Christ, about the family, about God. The culture war will be over, and the world may soon become as it was in the days of Noah. That's first, that was number 11. I won't read that, but I, everybody knows that in the days of Noah, God became very angry with that world. What did God use after he had brought the flood upon all those people to say that he had brought a covenant and would not do that again? The beautiful rainbow. They have perverted, maligned, and ridiculed God for a very long time. There's a new book out. I don't think it's been out very long. It's by a lady that's a very, um, very intelligent, very conservative, raised six children. Um, her name is Phyllis Shafley. And she puts a lot of the burden and a lot of the things that, that have happened on the, on the feminist movement. She says, and this is called um, Who Killed the American Family by Phyllis Shafley. And she has, uh, she's 90, 91 years old, and she's still active. She's still pushing. <laughs> she's still trying to get, the, you know, people to, to pay attention, to, to hear. And this, is, this was her latest book. Feminism cultivates the attitude that a woman must put her own self-fulfillment above every other value. That attitude is not compatible with marriage and motherhood. and does not produce happiness. Further, the feminist goal is not uh, achievement for women, or they would be lauding successful women such as Sarah Palin, May Michelle Bachman, and the late Margaret Thatcher, Diane Black, and Marsha Blackburn as role models. They do not. Not one of these women is a feminist. If you are a feminist, perhaps you might uh, like to move to communist Cuba, which the uh, media has proclaimed as the most feminist country in the Western Hemisphere. Cuba is the number three country in the world for having women in the parliament. Nearly 49% of Cuba's members of parliament are female. The major goal of women's liberation movement is to move all wives out of the home and into the labor force. The feminist view is that caring for children, even your own, is demeaning work for an educated woman. So what are the feminists complaining about now that the, the women are, have, are half of the labor force? They want workforce rules to be changed to be more feminist female friendly. These are the same feminists who claim for years that there's no difference between males and females. Feminists demand that taxpayers provide high quality daycare, paid family leave, 
The laws prohibit uh, employers from ordering uh, women to work overtime as men are often required to do. They also want laws to force men to assume half of the household and baby care duties, but they haven't achieved that goal yet. The feminist goal is not fair or equal treatment for women, but gender in interchangeability and the redistribution of power from men to women, not all women of course, only to feminists who know how to play the rule by the rules they have invented. And um, she lays it pretty thick on them. Now back to, to God's word and back to the, you know, children, by the way, are so precious that in the Psalms, I'd like for us to go to Psalm uh, the 127, he has had this one written down. Except the Lord, verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. They are such a blessing. You know, sometimes they're difficult to, to work with and do, but they are a blessing from the Lord. And they grow up and they become citizens. They become young adults and have trained and properly and brought up in this way, they become um, beautiful potential sons of God. He has given them, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are the hand of the mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is that man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Blessed, in verse... Next Psalm, 128, in just six verses there, one to six. Blessed is that one that fears the Lord, that walks in his ways. If we look at the commandments and what God teaches us, we, we teach that to our children, don't we? For you shall eat the labor of your hands. Happy shall you be, and shall be well with you. Your wife shall be a fruitful vine by the sides of your house. Your children, like olive plants, round about your table. Behold, that thus shall that the man be blessed that fears the Lord. There's blessings in obeying and fearing the Lord and learning about God's truth and teaching it to your children. Lord, the Lord shall bless you out of Zion and you shall see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yea, you shall see your children's children and peace upon Israel. Idyllic the kingdom of God and looking forward to it when all will understand this truth, this way of life. Okay, going to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. It is important for us to teach our children. God through Moses instructed him. He said in verse 1, Now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. That you might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes, his commandments which I command you and your son and your son's sons all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with you, that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. As I was saying earlier, how are your children going to learn honor to honor unless they, first of all, have an example for those who have parents and they take care of, they honor their parents. They will see that, but also to teach them God's ways. And also, since this is kind of a transitional um, commandment, 
this fifth commandment where it sits, God's our Father, isn't he? So we learn as adults and children, we try to teach them, to honor God our Father. To honor God. And so as we do that, we instill in them these, these things that we is important in this fifth commandment. You shall teach them diligently, your children shall talk of them when you sit down. This is verse 7. I, I probably skipped some, but I, I want to go to verse 7. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand and they shall be frontless between your eyes. You shall write them up on the posts of your house and in your gates. And it shall be when the Lord your God shall have brought you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and goodly cities which you have built, uh, which you builded not. And it's interesting. We come into, we are born into this nation, aren't we? Uh, the forefathers are already gone. Um, George Washington is in his grave. He's been there for a very long time. Um, Abraham Lincoln's in his grave. He's been there for a very long time. We are born into this nation with all the blessings, all of these wonderful, tremendous blessings that this nation has. And God is telling us when we come in to a situation and we understand, we should be thankful for the blessings that we have. We should very, and we should teach our children these blessings that have come because of sacrifices. We've had wars to keep freedom in this country, haven't we? We need to teach our children these things. He says that, he says, in the houses full of all good things, which you filled not, and wells dug, which you dug not, vineyards, olive trees, which you planted not, and when you shall have eaten and full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods or gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in, the, in, in, in Messiah, um, Masa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies, the statutes which he's commanded you. And you shall do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess a good land which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. And when your sons ask you in the time to come, saying, what means these testimonies and the statutes and the judgments that the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you shall say to them, and you, in this modern age, we are able to teach our children about God's word and what it means and the truth that it, it, that it brings about. But at that time, he said, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's bondsmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and great sore upon Egypt and Pharaoh and upon all his horsemen, uh, household before your, our, our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land which he swore to our fathers. The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as, as it is at this, uh, this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You can teach your children those things. And so they will learn honor, won't they? They will learn to fear the Lord. Jesus strengthens the commandments with his words. In Mark, the 10th chapter, Beginning verse 2, the Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife tempting him? Interesting. Uh, Jesus always had an answer. I wish I was this, this well, had this kind of power of feeling. Somebody come up to me and I'd be able to just, it'd be flow. And he answered and said unto them, verse 3, what did Moses command you? Well, they said Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. 
Jesus answered and said to them, for the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. You know, today, it seems to be so easy to get a divorce, doesn't it? Just, you know, walk in and, hey, I want to get rid of that person. I don't, you know, that was, um, what was it, the, um, a male divorce lawyer that's on radio. And I, and I don't know about you, but I get tired of hearing the commercials. <laughs> it's like there's a hundred commercials before they even say one thing about something else. But um, this one got, got used over and over and over again. And, and, there's a, this uh, contract between the married people, there's only two people in that contract. Now if, now, if you had God, if you really understood it, and you had God bless your marriage, you've got a third person in that contract. So, today, that one person can say, oh, I don't want to be married anymore, and instantly, they're, they're out of it. But Jesus used this. He went back to the beginning, didn't he? Where did he go? He went back to the beginning. He said, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So then they no more are two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And he said to them, whosoever shall put away his wife and... Oh, and in this house, his disciples, it was, later they came together, and this was a private conversation with his disciples. In the house, his disciples asked him again the same matter. So he, so he elaborated. He says, he said, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commits adultery against her. The woman shall put away her husband, be married to another, she commits adultery. And so later, they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked them, uh, uh, rebuked those that brought them. You know, oh, get, get those kids away. We don't want anything. To, you, you shouldn't be bringing that to the master. And when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. He was very indignant about that. And he said to them, Allow the little children to come to me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Jesus love the children because he understood. He understood the, the, the word of God. He understood the laws of God. Verily I say unto whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter into that kingdom. It is so important to teach our children to honor us, but also to honor God and God's commandments. And he took them up in his arms and he put his hands upon them and he blessed them. And I can imagine maybe even some tears for those children. Maybe he could even see down into the future of those children. I don't know. And when he had gone forth into the way, there was one coming and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Moses said to him, Why call you me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false, false witness, defraud not, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. He answered and said to him, Master, all of these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Well, I think that's one of the things that will be hard for us. Because we know that all sin can be forgiven. And we would like for these people to come out from under this sinful lifestyle, homosexuality. And so we, we shouldn't hurt the, hate the person, but we should hate the sin. And we should be very protective of our own children, though, because sometimes they're predators, and they take advantage. And they get themselves into situations where they can take advantage of young children. So we have to be very careful. He loved him. And he said to him, one thing that you lack, go your way, sell whatsoever you have, sell it all, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come and take up your cross and follow me. This guy was very sad at that saying. And he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around about and he said to his disciples, how hardly shall they that have 
riches enter into the kingdom of God. You can see his heart went out to this young man because this was his, this was his problem. This was his sticking point in life. He, he had all these riches, and it was, you know, the, the, what we quoted before. It was mammon that he was worshiping instead of God. And the disciples were astonished at his word, but Jesus answered and said, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It's easier for the camel to, do, to go through the eye of the needle from the rich man um, enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished at this measure, saying among themselves, Who then could be saved? And Jesus, uh, looking upon them, says, With men it's impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. So let's, let's look at what Paul has in advice for us. Because he does have advice for, for parents, for fathers, for children, and they are very, very much a part of what we should be looking at. So in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So we, we teach them as, as the best we can. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. It's, it is a commandment with promise to honor. We honor the, the elderly who are our grandparents, who are maybe even our great-grandparents if we're lucky enough and blessed enough to have them. We also honor the parents until those parents pass from this earth. Some of us have lost our mother and father. We're down to being the elders in our family now. And uh, so that's kind of scary. <laughs> that our kids are going to have to depend upon us for guidance. But we're, we're trying. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Teach them the word of God. Lovingly guide them and help them in this way of life. It, it's important. Back to verse, uh, chapter 5. In verse 20, he says, I, and I want to start with this one because, uh, you know, if you start with something, uh, some down here, you, the, the wives might think, oh boy, now we're after the wives now. Now, it says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This is um, chapter 5, verse 20, 21. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as in the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so like the wives be subject to their own husbands in every way. Now here's the point. The responsibility that God gives to the husband is far greater. Because he says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. We, as husbands, have to learn how to do that. <laughs> and sometimes that's very hard to understand how to do that. Christ sacrificed his life for us. And that's what he's saying. Husbands, you have to sacrifice your life for your wife and your children. It is a far greater burden for the husbands. And he gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the word, uh, water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or such things, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's what... Husbands, we, we would like to bring our wives along with us into the kingdom. We want the whole family into the kingdom. We want all of our brothers and sisters into the kingdom. It is a great blessing when we see someone change and want to be baptized and want to be a part of God's holy kingdom. That he might present it to Glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to also to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. For this cause shall a man... Now here we go again, all the way back to the beginning. Even Paul takes us back to the beginning. Over and over again, the Bible is going back to the beginning, helping us to understand 
This is a great, he says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even he himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. In John, in, in a, a few final words here, in John, the first chapter. Or, or first John, not John, the first chapter. First John, sorry about that. First John, the fourth chapter. I go back to this over and over again in my messages because it's so important in this day and age, especially as we find lots of trials and we, we need the love of God. And we need the love of one another in the church and to, together. Because it says here in, in verse 7, beginning of verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. When we're nurturing our children and we're, we're loving one another, they see that. They see that, don't they? They're, they're aware of that love and that nurturing. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. So we have to come to an understanding of what love means, what it is, how to, how to grasp that. Because God is love. And this was manifest the love of God towards us because God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It is a command that we love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now, I've always said to the husbands and wives, who is that first one that you should be loving the most? It's your, it's your spouse. If you are not loving your wife or your husband, how can you understand the love of God? God gave us each other so that we could love one another, so we could understand what love is all about. So we could sacrifice for one another. So we could give ourselves uh, to, to do things for one another. And sometimes we even have to take care of our spouse when they are sick. I remember when the whole family was sick. <laughs> I was sick. Everybody was sick. So where did it fall to take care of all of the sickness? I took it on myself. <laughs> It was, it was not my favorite thing to do, but it, it, it had to be done, and somebody had to do it, and everybody else was way too sick to, to do it. So, And I'm not going to go into it very much, because that's, that's all I want to say, that we were just all sick, and uh, I did help. I think I helped. At least it seems like I was helping. <laughs> he says... Uh, he says, no man has seen God at any time, verse 12. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoso shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, and I can say that to the spouses, <laughs> you have an intimate relationship, you should be loving one another. This commandment have I from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. And I think I went a little further than I wanted to, but that's okay. And then um, I have this one that I didn't uh, give Richard, but I'm going to go here as a final encouragement. I want you to understand that God loves us so much that before we're even in the kingdom, before we even have, um, before we're out of the womb, which is where we're at right now, because essentially that's what we're in, 
We're in the gestation period. We're in the womb. We're growing. We're the new man. God loves us so much so that in Romans 8, verse 13, For if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. From the very beginning, God wanted a family. As we honor God and we show our children that we honor God, will they not show that respect and honor back? Because we do, we love God. He has a a great purpose for us. It says, um, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, or sonship, whereby we we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, so be that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. There's so much more to God's truth and is so profound and we look forward to being with him in the kingdom and the Son and helping others to understand the commandments of God. Hopefully maybe somebody will watch this today and they'll realize how important these commandments are. I'm very thankful for Mary Fallon for standing up for the Ten Commandments at the state capitol. How long that will last, I don't know. But I'm very thankful that she is brave enough and strong enough to stand up and say that I'm not going to take those down. And I hope it stays there.